Hey there, three-way theater listeners. JC here. Wanted to take a moment and remind everyone that now through December 17th, if you head over to threewaytheater.com, you'll have the opportunity to cast your vote in the Peacock Awards. It's the biggest night of the year for three-way theater as we celebrate the movies, TV shows, and wrestling events that we had reviewed throughout 2017. And for the first time ever, you can have your voice heard as you have the opportunity to cast your vote. As we head toward the end of the year celebration, I wanted to go back to April 1st of this year when I had the awesome opportunity to have a phone conversation with J. Todd Anderson, the co-writer and director of The Naked Man. Um, Naked Man was episode 14 of Three-Way Theater. We had worked very hard to get our hands on a VHS copy of this movie. It was... uh, co-written by Ethan Cohen of the Cohen Brothers. Um, J. Todd is actually uh, a storyboard artist that has worked with the Cohen Brothers on all of their movies going back to Raising Arizona. I had a interview with Jeff Barklidge, who is the director of photography for The Naked Man, and he referred me over to J. Todd, and I was able to have a, a really great conversation with him. Um, this took place about a week before we actually reviewed The Naked Man, and uh, unfortunately some technical glitches we were having at the time prevented us from uh, uploading and posting this interview. But before we head into 2018, I really wanted to take an opportunity and and post this for everybody to listen to. Maybe it will uh, push you to go back and listen to that previous episode and all of our other episodes. They're available um, at threewaytheater.com as well as Podbean and iTunes. Feel free to subscribe, rate, review, comment, let us know what you think, and uh, please enjoy this interview with J. Todd Anderson. I appreciate you taking any time to talk to me. No, no, I'm not happy to do it. I'm telling you, because I had to work really hard on that movie, you know? It took me a long time to get it. Yeah. So I finally got it. It was hard to make, and then we got all sorts of problems. Uh, Maybe we still hadn't brought it. <laughs> well, I mean... Um... I mean, as I mentioned, we kind of do this this podcast about different pro wrestling movies, and um, my co-host uh, kind of stumbled upon this trailer on YouTube. So when we saw it, I was like, we were really blown away because, I mean, obviously uh, it's quirky. It has like, it's just, it's something that we don't, what's that? Did you actually see the movie? Well, we, I just got the movie. I, it, I had to track it down. Um, How did you get the movie? I'm just kind of curious what people are even watching it. Um, so I found it on eBay. 
Um, I actually had to go through two auctions to get my hands on a VHS copy. Ah, so it's not on screening anywhere, huh? No, no. You can't get it to Netflix or anything, huh? Nope, nope. And that bummed me out because we were trying to find a way to get this. And, I mean, there are no DVDs out there that I could find. Um, VHS was my best bet. Luckily, I'm one of the few people left that still have a VCR. Hmm, that's really interesting. I didn't think even people even bought DVDs anymore. You know? Yeah, I mean, I look for it any way that I can. I mean, we've we've reviewed yeah, a few. Fletch, Fletch made a really good DVD. <laughs> everything was good about it. The color, and everything. Really? Um, yeah, you can. You know, if you find there's some French DVDs and they have English, you know, a channel of English on it too, so you can listen to it that way. Oh, cool. Um, you should you should have been able to find it. There should be some upper auction on the French um, studio canal, you know. Um, yeah, no, it was um, it was tough to find, but I mean, I like I said, I went through a couple of auctions on eBay. Um, at one point, looking through the auctions, there was actually a it looks like a shooting script was being auctioned for the film as well. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I looked at it. It was uh, it was like twenty dollars for the script, and I definitely thought about even kind of bidding on that, depending on how things went with the trying to get my hands on the copy. Well, you know, if you want, you can watch that movie, and I'll give you a little bit better interview. I actually did watch it. Have you watched it? Yeah, oh, I did. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to make sure. You know, when I was talking to Jeff. Um, I had got the DVD. I got the VHS uh, probably like a day after I emailed Jeff. It came in the mail finally. Um, so when I asked him the questions about the movie, I hadn't seen it yet, but I was able to finally <laughs> get through it and be able to sit down and watch the entire thing. So. All right, so um, I guess, you know, even in my conversation with Jeff, which I thought was really interesting, um, I guess, uh, you know, first and foremost, like, what was, what inspired you to write this movie? You know, it started out as a script that I wrote called The Drug Counselor. Um, and I had written that up, and Ethan Cohen, he had read it, and he liked it. And what got me going was that I shot the first scene of that movie, and um, I, st- I I showed that first scene to everybody, you know, the chiropractic scene. Yeah. And um, and Ethan saw that, and then he had a look at the script. And he goes, "Let me rewrite this for you." I said, "Be my guest," you know. So he went in there and rewrote that script, and then um, Ethan, it was Ethan's idea to call it the Naked Man. Um, I have no idea why. Uh, <laughs> if, if I had to do all over again, I wouldn't have done that because it, you pull up a lot of porn when you put the naked man in there. You know, so. Well, coming from someone uh, whose podcast is called Three Way Theater, um, it definitely pulls some weird search results. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, we I didn't really think that through when we named our podcast. Uh, again, if we uh, after we started our first episode, we had about seventeen better suggestions. We're like, where were you five months ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, when you when you originally kind of envisioned this movie, was wrestling always a part of it? Well, yeah, actually, when I was trying to emulate more than anything was um, is that this guy that was a wrestler part time. 
and was going to chiropractic school, was going, had a nervous breakdown. And that's what I was trying to do. That was the whole... But I have been a big fan of wrestling growing up, and um, wrestling was very local when I was growing up, and I enjoyed it a lot. And, um, and the... Um, you know, the chiropractic part was, I just thought it was fascinating, the visual aspect of that, so I just combined the two, and um, uh, that's how that came about. But wrestling, to me, and I still think this way, I think everything you see now comes from wrestling, everything. Mm. Um, Donald Trump is wrestling, you <laughs> know, the way he promoted, the way he did everything. All you had to do is imagine him in tights with a belt. He's just a wrestler. And, um, all the way back to the advent of TV, the first theatrical presentations were wrestling. And when you watch people promote anything, if you watch it very closely, you'll notice it's not that different from wrestling. It really isn't. You know, if you watch a Western, Western is is opera, only it's with violence. And the ultimate and the cheapest form of that kind of um, dissertation is wrestling, no matter what. Wrestling's always going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. And um, when you watch any kind of wrestling match, in fact, I saw, I read in New York Times or something that when they measured how much wrestling went on the screen uh, when you watched wrestling nowadays, and, you know, my big influences were early television wrestling and also the early Jim McMahon stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, when you watch modern day wrestling, it's still more theatric than it is actual action, you know? Yep. When you cut the pie, it's only like 15% of the pie is actual action, wrestling, you know? No, yeah, no, you're, you're right on. I mean... Uh, in addition, like I promote local wrestling events in Massachusetts and, and uh, Rhode Island. And um, so I've been dealing, I've been involved in wrestling in some way or another since I was 14 years old. And I cannot agree with you more. It's that's 100% true. Um, like nothing appeals to people more than wrestling. Re- if you want the biggest swath of an audience, wrestling will do it for you. Because my grandfather used to take me to wrestling. This is way back in the 60s. You know? Yeah. And what they did is they promoted it on television on Fridays on the UHS station, and then the grocery store would bring it to you, you know, and they'd have they had a smaller ring for the television studio, and then they'd build this thing up so you would come out to see it on Saturday and Sunday at the at the fairgrounds, you know, that's where they always used to wrestle. Yep. And they drew incredible crowds. And there's this one wrestler, his name is Bob Harmon. He wasn't that good of a wrestler, and I remember thinking he wasn't much of a wrestler. But I remember going in to the wrestling match with my father and my grandfather, and Bob Harmon was taking the ticket. And then pretty soon when we watched the wrestling match, one of the matches, one of the earlier matches, because he wasn't very good, was Bob Harmon. And then pretty soon I watched those guys wrestle, and then they'd have a, they had some sandwich filler matches, and they were always masked men, you know? Mm -hmm. I could have swore one of them was Bob Harmon. And then um, when the Baron Vishvan Rossi was the villain that night, I remember him and Fred Curry were fighting in wrestling. And Bull Curry was also a villain, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the movie, at the end of the wrestling match, um, when we went out, we were waiting around to get an autograph from one of those wrestlers, and Bob Hartman was folding up the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so and him and Dandy Dan Miller were folding up the chairs, so... That's the way it was back then, you know? It's 
still is now, to be honest with you. on Friday, and they did their wrestling matches on Saturday, just like traveling vaudevillian, you know? Yep. They were no different, and everybody was there. Old ladies, old people. My aunt, my, my grandfather's girlfriend was up there. She's an old woman. She was up there pounding on the mat, screaming and yelling. I mean, it's just like it was for everybody. And that's, I don't know, I don't know if wrestling's kind of gotten away from that, but, um, um, Back in those days, it was probably the best bang for your buck, you know. And uh, uh, it was just so widely promoted. And you would go, and these guys traveled. They were all from um, Big Man's father's organization. You know, all those guys. Yeah. Murray, Katie um, Oklahoma Kid. Um, there's other guys that I remember. Even Bobo in Brazil would make an appearance. And, uh, um these were the big wrestlers that I remember on local TV and um, um, then you know when I got into writing the screenplay I just thought you can't go wrong with wrestling you just can't you know and uh, I remember one of the one of the versions of that script I had given it to one of my writer friends he's a pretty famous writer now Michael Almereda and he said there's too much wrestling in here, you know? <laughs> and then I gave it to Ethan, and Ethan goes, what'd you take it out for? We need more wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so he made me come back in, because Michael was complaining about, until this day, I give Michael nothing but a hard time because he doesn't have enough action in his pictures, you know? But uh, Ethan says, no, I gotta put it back in there. You gotta go back to the wrestling match. This is too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And we had done they had done Barton Fink, you know, where, mm-hmm. where John Goodman was a wrestler and everything, and he was showing him wrestling, and uh, a lot of people made that connection, I don't know why, <laughs> but, you know, our villain was classic, he was in a wheelchair and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's that's really cool. Um, I, I loved, uh, you can tell that you grew up watching uh, that old-time wrestling and the fairgrounds and things like that just by the, uh, the sleazy wrestling promoter. Uh, oh god, that, those guys were everywhere, man. They were just everywhere when I was growing up. And um, <laughs> I mean, when we were kids, going there was always a sleazy promoter. And then I think the art kind of started imitating itself because they started putting sleazy promoters with the wrestlers. You know, all of a sudden they started having managers, and the managers were like the secret bad guys. And and uh, you know, that's what I mean. It's like wrestling, like you know, it's like something for everybody. It really is. I don't. I'm occasionally I'm trying to watch it now, but it just doesn't have that allure that it had for me growing up. And, uh, you know, in the early years, in the 80s when they were really hot, you know, that yeah. was a lot of fun. Randy Macho Man, Savage, and um, those guys were fun, man. Bobby Roddy Piper, and uh, I remember that was Red Game about 10 years ago, and uh, Randy the Macho Man Savage was in the stadium. Yep. And they had to throw him out because nobody would play baseball or anything because he was so popular. I actually the remember that story. Playing, but yeah, the Reds stopped playing and playing at him. And Mark Schott actually had him ejected because he was interrupting the baseball game. He was so popular, you know? You were there for that? <laughs> no, I remember uh, seeing it on television. They couldn't get it going because yeah. everybody was like all excited about it. I mean, that's something when a wrestler steals a whole baseball game just by sitting there, you know? Yeah. And they're saying something. You know, that had real appeal. And then they bring in that Lady Elizabeth, and it was the same thing, you know? They're all fighting for her honor. But still, it just it just exemplifies our culture in all respects, and the culture gets the art it deserves. And, and our, 
our art is wrestling, man. It's always going to be that way. Look at Donald Trump. He's the biggest wrestler on the whole planet. He is. Yeah, he played. He acts and way he behaves. I mean, he was Vince McMahon throughout his entire campaign. Everything he did was was mimicking anything you saw that he Vince McMahon has done over the last twenty years. He perfected being the bad wrestling, wasn't it? Yeah, know that you probably would know that more than anybody. Textbook wrestling, and you know one of the reasons I chose Minneapolis because they had that really cool place to wrestle. You know, more the Lakers used to play Minneapolis Coliseum there. Well, Minneapolis when we did it. I mean, that was home to, like, Vern Gagne and uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. That's right. I did not realize that when I got to Minneapolis, the wrestling was huge up there. We would go up there and we would go out every weekend and watch some wrestling matches. They had their own culture of wrestling in Minneapolis. Vern Gagne was a king. And um, it was unbelievable everywhere we go. And one night, we went to this wrestling match and there was a bunch of Japanese people and they were on a cavalcade, you know? Yeah. Every every night during the weekend, they would go see another wrestling match somewhere up in the Great Northwest or whatever. And uh, man, everybody was just going crazy at this wrestling match, and the Japanese are just sitting there very stoked, you know, <laughs> no emotion, and everybody was just just out of their mind with anger and excitement, and they just sat there very stoked. I couldn't get over it; it was just fascinating. So I got a sniffle of wrestling when I got up there when we started doing it, and the wrestlers that we used were all Minneapolis guys, and um. I'm telling you, man, those guys are big guys, boy. <laughs> um, these guys are really big. I didn't realize it, but I had I, they kept getting smaller in my mind, and then when I hired them, I didn't realize how big they were. <laughs> we got them out there because the star guy got intimidated by him, you know. Yeah, and he was he was scared of them because those guys were so big, but they were really skilled wrestlers. Because if you watch a movie carefully, you'll notice that. When we're on him, he's kind of slow, you know? Yeah. He kind of drags. But when you look, when it's supposed to be his back, that's a wrestler. And that guy moves like a wrestler, man. He is so good. And uh, those guys could do anything. And they were the best stunt men I ever worked with, you know, in wrestling, that's for sure, because they were real wrestlers. <laughs> I was going to ask if you would use local talents. So that's pretty cool that you guys were able to kind of use them in the movie. Oh, yeah. They were almost all Minneapolis wrestlers. Almost all of them. Did you um? Because, were you involved? Like getting as far as the 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 event stuff and stuff you guys did filming um the matches. Did you create your own set or did you use a, one of the local companies for help? Uh, we had a coordinator that came in. I can't remember who he was. I think he was from Minneapolis. Um, but we rented the ring ourselves and okay. we had some stuntmen, you know, we had some yep. real stuntmen because we send a guy through the ceiling and, uh, only stunt guys can do that stuff. Wrestlers were the best stuntmen for wrestling. They really were. Um, even though they weren't stuntmen, but you, you'll notice that the little referee that we sent out of the ring, that was portrayed by the stuntman, Danny Downey, who's a real small guy and really good. He's been tons of movies. He was great. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, he is fantastic. Um, but uh, so we just took advantage of the wrestler stunt when yeah. we could because they were so good. They were real wrestlers. I mean, they were fantastic. Cool. Um, one of the things that um, I, I wrote down a couple of notes that I had while I was watching it. Um, one, uh, the cast is amazing. Um, really great. I wish, I wish everybody else would think like you. <laughs> I haven't been able to recognize our movies since then. So. 
Well, I mean, I was, I was when I was talking to Jeff about it, and I was looking, you know, originally at the at the list. I mean, besides the fact that you know Michael Rappaport is in there, and I mean John Slattery and John Carroll Lynch, those are two great actors. Um, Rachel Lee Cook, who is like, I mean, nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety seven, she was like the it girl at that time. She was not. She wasn't real well known until she got on the picture. And then the guy that did She's All That, yeah. I remember when we were cutting our movie, I gave him some film, and her career, did, it really took off on She's All That. That's really? where it took off. It didn't take off on my film. But, uh, well, but it was right around, I mean, it was all around that time. I mean, I, I grew up around that time. I was a teenager at that time, Rachel Lake Cook. I remember, you know, yeah, She's All That, she blew up. Um, I mean, you had a lot of good, even character actors in this movie, um, like I mentioned, the the sleazy wrestling promoter, I recognized him. He was the the oh, lawyer in Jurassic Park. Fantastic, yeah. I tell you who's a real. Well, I mean, they're all good, but my favorite of the whole bunch was Michael Jeter because he was so wonderful when we were working with him. Um, John Carroll Lynch was fantastic. I couldn't believe it because we had worked with him in Fargo. Um, but I just remember there was something about Michael Jeter. He just boy, I'll tell you that guy. He really put it down. And almost all of them were just were just great, but for some reason Michael sticks out in my mind because um, I learned so much from him, you know, working with him from an actor standpoint. And uh, um, you know, John Slattery was just fantastic. All those guys came in and read, and they just did it splendidly. They really did, and uh, it was easy to. Uh, the, only, the only problem we had casting was um, Michael Jeter's part because we had several people read for that, and they fell, they dropped out. Really? And then Michael Jeter, um, he came in and read, and that was it. And uh, it makes you really understand when you really hit it on the head, because, uh, you know, having all those really great people come in and read for us, even the local talent, like Peter Temke, and there were local um, actors in the in the uh, local Minneapolis theater scene. They did great, great work, you know, and uh, uh, so we, there was no shortage of great actors in that picture, I'll tell you that. Well, yeah, I mean, I was I was definitely surprised when I saw the 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 list of the actors that you know were in this film, and um, some of them have gone on to do. I mean, obviously, you know, Mad Men with John Slattery and um, uh-huh. yeah. Zodiac and with. Nice guys. They were all nice. It was unbelievable. They put up with me. I couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> first time director. Just, you know, we had a lot of first time director problems on that picture, and Jeff will tell you about that. And we just weren't experienced, you know, and that was a problem. Um, nowadays, it wouldn't be any problem at all because you've been there and done that, but that's the only way you learn is by doing it, and that's exactly what Jeff and I did on that movie, was learn how to do it. And uh, um, you know, a lot of times it's an uphill battle because we have weather to contend with, like there's a team with an airplane, you know, and mm-hmm. we had a windstorm come, and I lost the whole day on that schedule. And, um, you know, that airplane was so dangerous, I remember, because that was back before we did things with and everything <laughs> that airplane actually flies over the car that's actually happening here wow that. um, that's pretty scary <laughs> <laughs> um Jeff mentioned that it was about a six week shoot so like yep. um like we had 30 you, days that's what we had yeah 
So, I mean, there was, I mean, as you mentioned, you both were, you know, he was the first time as a DP. His first studio film was your, you know, I know you, you know, looking just through your resume alone, you know, you're, you know, a storyboard artist and things like that. And you've worked on some awesome movies, but this was your first time directing. Um, you oh, said there was, man. you know, a lot of, it was kind of a learning experience, yeah? Oh, my gosh. It was uphill all the way. You know, um, you know, almost everybody nowadays gets 30 days. Um, but we had a reasonably good budget back then, and that was by default. Yeah. Um, because the studio came in and gave us some money. And, um, but again, the only thing that slowed everybody down in that picture now is my experience, you know. And, and all you can do is the best you can do. Yeah. When you're in the situation, you know. Um, what? A, lot of, a lot of things that you learn from that stuff. If you ever do it again, you'll know not to do it. But, <laughs> uh, you know, when I draw for inexperienced directors, I always remember that. I always say, well, you know, that's, there's only one way for them to learn. They have to figure it out themselves. So, you know, I can talk to them and blue in the face, but until they experience it, uh, it's always, you know, a first time director when I have to deal with that. I do work with a lot of directors, let me tell you. So. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, um, you know, just, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about your inspiration with wrestling and, and things like that. Um, what, like, what were your favorite movies and stuff growing up? Like, what did you, what did you like to watch? Oh man, you know, the best thing to do on that is go to, uh, perfectmovie.net and you'll see our podcast, Okay, which is about perfect movies. And my friend from the library of Congress who is a restoration expert uh, at the Library of Congress, he puts all those old movies back together. He and I talk about the perfect movies. You know, we'll awesome. consider a perfect movie. And that's the best way to check that list out. Those are all my influences there. He and I have made a list of our favorite and perfect movies, and you'll see on there on that site. I'll tell you why. And um, um, it's recently went back up. You can get it on, um, you can get it on iTunes. Um, there's, a, there's 129 episodes, all half hour. Awesome. I will absolutely check that out. That's that's really cool. Thanks for letting me know about that. That'll give you an idea of my favorite inspirational movies to know. So. For sure. Um, one of the notes that I took while watching this is that, uh, especially in this day and age, maybe not so much in, in 97, 98, this is the perfect uh, superhero origin story. Um, it definitely had the hallmarks of, uh, you know, the parents getting shot down, this alter ego for the character. Oh, yeah, yeah, we stole all that from comic books, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, gosh, yeah. That's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be like a comic book that had never been drawn up before. You know, that's what I wanted it to be. Because I always thought Robocop was a perfect movie. Yeah. It was never a comic book or anything. It was made for the screen. And I always envied you know, how well that movie was made. Um, and I was trying to aim for something like that. And that's what I was trying to do, you know? I almost wonder if, like, something like this came out more nowadays if it you know would have been better received just because it has those hallmarks of thing of the genre that's so popular nowadays uh, if it might connect better with people than it might have did back then. Eh, you know, you're probably right. You know what they say, you know, the early bird gets the worm and the second mouse always gets the cheese. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I, I really, I really did enjoy watching this. Um, I've, I mean, I'm a fan of uh, all different types of movies, schlock cinema, B movies, uh, Coen brother movies, superhero movies. Like 
there's so much that I, you know, I just like movies in general. And so when we tackle these movies that have pro wrestling in them, I'm always interested to see like what, you know, what, what it comes to and what's it about and all these things. And I just had a really good time. I mean, it wasn't a long movie, but it definitely like, I would have watched more of it. It was fun. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad. I'm always pleased to hear that somebody liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Didn't uh, make any money, you know. From, you yeah. Know, I don't think a studio could care less about it right now. Because, like you said, you had to go find a VHS to, to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one reading through it and looking through it, like one of the things uh, I did notice, you had one uh, the uh, John Carroll Lynch death scene was. Super violent, which I kind of loved. Like, almost reminded me of like uh, trauma films. Um, that was like Sam Raimi's influence there, because I like the way Sam did that stuff. <laughs> um, I, it kind of surprised me. For a moment, I was trying to imitate him just for a second, you know. Yeah, no, it was cool. I definitely that was like everything. You know, some of the moves that uh, that John uh, Michael Rappaport's character was doing with the twisting of the body parts. Like, uh, I definitely, you know. <laughs> It was definitely over the top, and then you had that one moment at the end with John Carroll Lynch, and I'm like, wow, holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> Where he walked into the airplane before? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow. Yeah, we had to get a certain kind of airplane to do that. That's why we're using that airplane, because it's the only one that you could walk into an airplane propeller, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. I definitely enjoyed that, and um, I also I was reading on Wikipedia while I was looking through this movie. Um, there was a couple of original songs written for the movie, and I wish there was some kind of soundtrack. Yeah, well, I can send off four of the songs. Ethan and I wrote them. So. Oh, really? Ethan and I wrote the songs like Expelled, which I'm going to use for the whole movie, but I got trumped on that one. Um, there was like at least four original songs in there. I can send them to you if you want. Yeah. That would be awesome because I really enjoyed them. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll man. Them to you. you know, um, I got your email address. When I come on tonight, I'll, I'll pull them out and send them to you. Cool. Thank you. One's done by Debbie Gibson. One's by Delbert McClinton. Uh, another one's by the Rembrandt, the guys that did. Um, I saw that. The Friends. Soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And then um, another one was a session singer. But um, all that stuff was pretty much Ethan Cohen and I wrote this song. Yeah. Cool. And you, um, I saw that you you still work with the Coens? Yeah, yeah, I think we're getting ready to do another one here real soon. I'll keep you posted on that. Very cool, very cool. I mean, I I was telling Jeff, like, you know, there's not really a, a wrong or a bad Coen Brother movies. I pretty much love them all. Um, I'd say probably Fargo was my favorite for a very long time. Um, and then yeah, I... this movie was made right after Fargo. Because we you went up went up to Minneapolis for that very reason because they had such good talent and it was so easy to shoot stuff. We moved everything from Cincinnati. That's where we we're going to shoot it, and we moved it up to Minneapolis. Yeah. Because the various locations, like that wonderful location we had for the wrestling scene, that was there in Minneapolis. You know, and it was perfect for us. You know, everybody expected it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got some sort of mold, you know, cold and everything, but <laughs> we had our we had our um, run of the place, you know, it was really easy to shoot it and it was big, you know. Yeah. I mean I thought it was, I thought it was a good um encapsulation of, of wrestling, especially the the smoky hall, the the you know, the bingo hall. Yeah, it had the texture that I was looking for, you know. Um you know, nowadays they do it in everything from a school gym and it's all brightly lit, but as I remember it, 
they were in more coliseum kind of places, like, mm-hmm. you know, fairgrounds coliseums, and they always had one big light over the top of them, so they always looked fisher. You know, the World Wrestling Federation, when they first started traveling in the 80s, they knew how to light those guys, you know, and um, they just didn't throw them in 100% lighting in a room. They put a, a really good light right over top of them. Yep. So that way they looked very stark. And that's why Jeff lit it, exactly like that. He made it, everything that Jeff lit in that movie looks, just looks sensational. Um, I mean, the guy just did a knockdown, drag out job, no pun intended, on light <laughs> in my movie. I mean, I remember seeing the dailies, and I thought, these are just sensational. This thing looks incredible. Uh, and he's still, in my, in my bank account, one of the best lighters around. I don't know why more people don't take advantage of that guy. It's a good, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, a cons- I work with the best, best DPs in the world. I have. And uh, I think Jeff's right up there with him. I really do. That's, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it, and we've watched probably about. 12 uh, wrestling movies at this point and I'm always interested in the cinematography and how like certain scenes are are put together like that and I agree I liked I loved everything about the wrestling scenes thought it was cool I think nowadays we probably have an easier time of it because cameras are more mobile you know you can move them around a little bit easier but we had to move that 35 millimeter camera around and it's kind of heavy and slow um, but I think nowadays you could probably if you're not careless, you can get a little bit better job out of it because they're a little bit easier to throw around, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you don't, I mean, we've watched a few movies from the 70s and 80s and now this one from 98. And you're, you're right, like the cameras now are so lightweight, digital, all these. I, mean, I just worked on a Western a couple summers ago and um, they had a big shootout scene and um, they had the main cameras, but they had a bunch of GoPros sitting everywhere. Yeah. Know? And seeing like, you know, even back then, 35 millimeter was 42 cents a foot, and then 12 cents to process it. And that is a pretty healthy budget on a movie, you know, on the phone stock and everything. But now, it's not, it doesn't cost anything. Right. It doesn't. And, and like on that shootout scene, they had a lot of GoPros out there, four or five at least. And um, they could go in there and take what they wanted from it. Um, but, um, you know, one of the reasons, you know, really good filmmakers only use one or two cameras is so they can get exactly what they want and they don't have to figure it out in the editing, you know? Yeah. Um, so we had everything carefully storyboarded, like everything I've learned from all the Cullen movies, and Jeff really appreciated that. And that's one of the reasons we were able to shoot all that stuff and get it done in 30 days, is that we really planned it well. Yeah. You know? and, and Jeff wasn't out doing commercials, so he was at my elbow all the time. <laughs> so when we were drawing when we were doing the storyboards on that thing Jeff could approve everything before we even moved out there so um. that's cool man it really is um I always, I'm always interested in that kind of thing. I went in high school. I took graphic design. I never really excelled in it, but I was always found interest in it. Um, and obviously being involved with wrestling, I mean, it's, uh, I've been doing it since I was a kid, so it's all very visual to me. So I, I, I appreciate that insight. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, guys, you know, you have to catch them just right to make them look dramatic. And <laughs> one of the things, one of the reasons I think it's so theatrical is because they know how to do that for even bad camera angles, you know, for television. True. They know how to do that. You know, wrestlers do. That's part of their skill that nobody ever gives them credit for. Is they know how to wrestle for a big audience. They're no different from a really great actor. Is when they slap a guy, they know how to make it really dramatic. You know? Yeah. Everybody can see it. You know, they're really 
those guys are really impeccably skilled at being actors and doing that. You know? Yeah, it's one of the reasons why... First of all, you're supposed to believe it, and second of all, they're not going to talk about that aspect of their craft. They're never going to do that, you know? It's one of the reasons why I say uh, The Rock is one of the biggest action stars today, because he knew how to kind of... He took his acting in the right direction, man, you know? I know... um, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, he did a pretty good movie, and um, yep. he's not bad. And uh, and you know, if you listen to Muhammad Ali and everything, he he says that Cordis Swords was his main influence. You know, that's who taught him the theatrics. He said, you know, yeah, that's really yeah, true. that's what Muhammad Ali's been more than once. He's been recorded saying that that Cordis George was what he was aiming for because that's what got the audience going. You know. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I think it's it's definitely yeah. something the trade that uh, the wrestlers have learned and have passed on to certain people and to help them. Um, yeah, well, you, you, you know, Hitchcock even said pictures only as good as villain. You know, and there's nothing like that except for wrestling. Really, you know, <laughs> it's the theater. It really is. It's the it's what got me hooked when I was like seven years old and first stumbled upon it and. I'm still doing it to this day and still, I mean, I, I watch it on TV, but it's not the same, but I mean, I run shows out of a, a dingy Elks Lodge when with like a hundred people packed into it and the kids that are there, they believe every second of it. Well, they want to believe it. You know, you don't dare let them down, man. That's your job. Yeah. You don't dare let them down. You know, that's what your job is, is to convince them. And what is acting, man, but convincing <laughs> you. You know, what is Hitchcock, what does he say? What is, what is drama? The life with all the doll parts cut out of it? You know, that's what it is. So True. Well, man, I, I can't thank you enough for, like, taking the time to talk it's to me. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled to death somebody actually wants to watch my movies. So. <laughs> oh, I mean, I I hope you get another I opportunity. All the time. I give interviews all the time about storyboarding, and they always ask me the same question. And, you know, I do it because I have to, but this I'm more than happy to talk about, so... Cool. Well, I mean, again, thanks so much. Um, thanks so much again. I really do appreciate it. And check out our podcast, perfectmovie.net. I'm going to go and download a couple episodes tomorrow because we got a long day of uh, Ring Crew tomorrow setting up for our show we're doing, yeah. so I'm going to listen to some. Believe me, I know, because it used to take us three hours to do a half hour. We <laughs> always, you know, review a movie. That's what we did. You'll, you'll hear it when you get out there. Um, uh, we recently got all the podcasts back up on iTunes, so you can hear them all. Cool. I'm going to check it out for sure. Okay. All right. Thanks again so much for your time. Appreciate it. It is my pleasure. Thank you for thinking of it. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Get off the couch. That's a good boy. He's a really good sport when he falls a little short of nailing them cats that cross his path. And at dinner time, you know who you find, begging for a bite with tears in his eyes. Who tried to ignore him, but he still hangs around. Daddy gets mad and says, don't go away down. Yeah, you haven't seen it all. I think you've seen old Wonder Bread. He's an amazing dog. He got little floppy ears and a waggling tail. And he trees and coons and he barks like hell. Sits around with his nose in the air. Scratching those fleas that inhabit his hair. Got feet so big, can't walk too good. 
everybody hacks that leg like a boy dog should. Yeah, you haven't seen it all. Do you see no Wonder Bread? He's an amazing dog. Ooh, Wonder Bread, a raisin from my puppy. Wonder Bread, a weed from his mama. Wonder Bread, fresh or new smell. Ooh, Wonder Bread, but he can't tell. Wonder Bread, my greatest fan. Ooh, Wonder Bread, Bison Man. Well, you haven't seen it all. Do you see no Wonder Bread? He's an amazing dog. He's an amazing dog. Wonder Bread. Raising from a puppy. Wonder Bread. Weaning from his mommy. Wonder Bread. Express true to smile. Wonder Bread. But he can't tell. Wonder Bread. My greatest fan. Wonder Bread. Bison Eater Man. haven't seen it all. Do you see no Wonder Bread? He's an amazing dog. You haven't seen it all. Do you see no Wonder Bread? He's an amazing dog. Oh, you got brilliant.